Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is uh, Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. We're so glad that you're here with us. And if you're here on Facebook Live with us, we're so glad that you are part of our family and that you're here participating and experiencing with us. Thank you for being there on Facebook Live as well. And we're so excited to have all of you who are in the room here, who on a beautiful fall day are not at a pumpkin patch this morning or a fall fest or a corn maze or a hayride, all of the fault, not drinking a pumpkin spice latte somewhere, but you're here with us. So thank you for being here with us this morning, especially if you're here for the very first time. We're so excited to have you. We planned for you. We prayed for you. uh, And we're so honored that you would give us some of your time this morning and just come out and and be at church with us, to do church with us. So we're so thankful for you. So thank you for being here. This morning we are in part four of a five-week series called Inside Out where we have been talking about living from our spirit outward. Last week Pastor Brad talked about living from our spirit, not just our soul, which is the seat of our emotions and will. Our world wants us to live from the outside in, pleasing our body first, never really paying attention to our spirit. But God's word teaches us to live from the inside out, from our spirit outwards. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Chris and Pastor Brad have done a great job talking about some of the emotions that each of us face in life, some of the emotions that we all experience. And then they've given us some really great tools to help us deal with those emotions, although we are all going to experience them, um, that they don't have to control our lives. And so we talked um, about uh, anxiety uh, on week one, and we talked about anger on week two, and last week we talked about bitterness. And this week we're going to be looking at and talking about sadness. We're talking about how sadness is a natural and a good emotion. We're also going to be talking about joy. And so if you've paid attention over the last couple of weeks, we had a similar formula to our take-home point. That's the one point I want to take home and live out the next week. I hope you want to take home and live out in the coming weeks. So this week's take-home point is, look at that. Oh, oh, my hand has to come in to point to it. Look there. There it is. Isn't that cool? I'm not completely gone. Look at that. Sadness is natural. Joy is supernatural. Sadness is natural. Joy is supernatural. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking a lot about natural and supernatural. We've been talking about various natural emotions that we all experience. And then we've been talking about the supernatural response that God gives us so that we can deal with our emotions and not be controlled by our emotions. Now, when I say that sadness is natural, I'm not saying that sadness is a bad thing. I think sometimes we hear like the super, the natural and the supernatural, and we're like, well, well, let's get to the supernatural part. Obviously, God wants the supernatural for us. He didn't create us or intend us for the natural, so let's get past the sadness point. Let's talk, because sadness is bad. And in our culture, that's largely true. In fact, our culture avoids sadness like the plague. We try to inoculate ourselves against sadness. We don't ever want to experience sadness. I'm here to tell you today that sadness is not only a a, a very natural thing, but it's a good thing and has the ability to bring about good and positive things in our lives, as all emotions do. Most of them are neither good nor bad, but it's the way that we handle them that becomes good or bad, and sadness is the same way. Sadness can be a very positive thing in our life, or it could be a very negative. As I was preparing for this message, um, it was a couple of weeks ago, and at the time, we were were dealing with a lot of sadness in our church family. I had gotten a call on a Tuesday night that someone had passed away suddenly from our family, and 
I jumped in the car and met Pastor Chris, and um, we were down at the hospital with the family, and then we ended up out of the house, and it was a tragic situation, and um, a lot of sorrow, a lot of um, just overwhelming emotions of despair and sadness, um, and then I found out that my youth pastor's dad died of cancer, my youth pastor growing up, and then I was doing the funeral for this, this member of our church family on Sunday, and Sunday morning I got a call at like 4.30 a.m. letting me know that my aunt had died of a heart attack. And so on Sunday night I did a funeral here at the church a couple weeks ago, and then two days later I was at the funeral home for my youth pastor's dad grieving with him, and then two days later I was at the funeral home again for the viewings and the funeral service for my aunt. And that was a time where I experienced just a a lot of sadness, to be honest. And the sadness wasn't a bad thing. In fact, in those moments, it was really appropriate for me to be all sad. And, and there was all kinds of positive things going on in my life. We had just opened up the New Life Galaxy, which was awesome. New Life small groups had just gotten, got kicked off, and I'm really involved with those. And so um, I, was, I was really benefiting from the couple of small groups that I'm in and leading. And um, those were really powerful and good experiences. I have this beautiful little girl and an awesome wife. And there was a lot of good things going on in my life. But I found myself sad, grieving with the, the loss that I saw around me uh, in the life of my family and in the life of friends and in the life of my church family. I was, I was sad. So despite many of the happy things that happened, I found myself sad. And sometimes we associate sadness with something that's bad or something that's wrong. In fact, we don't want to be sad. Our, our culture elevates happiness and feeling happy above God. But I'm here to say that sadness is not only natural, but sadness is a good and proper response to many of the things that we experience in this world. Sadness is the good and proper response to many of the things that we experience in this world. In fact, we're, if we're not sad about many of the things that go on in our lives... If we're not sad about some of the things that we see on TV, if we're not sad about some of the things that are in the news, it actually speaks a really negative thing about us and our hearts. It speaks that our hearts have grown hard and that we've begun to grow cold, that we've begun calloused, become calloused. We're unaffected by the plight and the, the, the terrible things that are going on in other people's lives. If we don't have some element of sadness in our life, it actually speaks something negative about us because feeling sad is a natural thing appropriate and sometimes a very good response. And today isn't about trading sadness for happiness. Today is about how we can feel sadness, the emotion of sadness, in the proper places, processed in the proper way. And then through that, how joy can share the same place as sadness in our lives and how we are able to experience overwhelming, abundant joy in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we're saying that sadness is not a bad thing, then why are we talking about it at all? Well, even our biblical heroes were sad. Even Jesus was sad. And we can look at the Bible and see that. We're going to spend a lot of time in Psalms today, and actually in John as well. But we're going to kick off. But we're going to look at this passage in Psalms written by King David. It starts in chapter 6, and it's verses 1 through 7. It says, O Lord... Don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I think maybe many of us have felt this way before. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out. Check this out. I am worn out from sobbing. 
All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all of my enemies. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision blurred by grief. David was a man after God's own heart. He's the most beloved king of all of Israel. One of the most powerful and wealthiest men of his day. On top of that, he's given a promise that God will create a kingdom in his line, in his lineage that will last forever. He's going to do that through Jesus. With all of these promises and all of these positive things, still David experienced sadness almost to the point of overwhelming despair and hopelessness. Jesus experiences sadness as well, and this is affirmed to us in the book of John. And John, the apostle, um, who was one of Jesus' close friends and followed him around, recounts an experience that he had with him when one of Jesus' friends died. Now, I don't know how he got to know Lazarus, but evidently he was really close to this dude named Lazarus, which is a super cool name. And Lazarus, he gets news that Lazarus has, has died. And so Jesus comes a couple days later to the house where Lazarus had lived, and he's already been put in a tomb, and he's been dead for a couple of days. And his sisters, who are also good friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha, come running to Jesus, and they're weeping, and they're upset. And the grief and the sadness triggers something in Jesus as well. And in verse 35, we read what is a verse that many of us have heard before. Then Jesus wept. It's a small but a really important verse. The Son of God, God incarnate, right? Who came and put on the flesh suit and came and walked among us, right? This God also experienced sadness. Even Jesus felt natural and appropriate sadness at the loss of a friend. In our lives, we will experience sadness, and at times it's natural and very appropriate. Sadness is a gift God gave us so we could respond properly to the effects of sin in our world. When someone close to us passes away or something is taken from us, we should experience some amount of sadness in mourning over that. That's a natural and a good thing. Why? Because we're physically seeing the effects of sin on our world and we should grieve and become sorrowful over the effects of sin that are around us. There are things that ought to make us sad. The problem is not that we're sad. The problem is that we often misplace or mismanage our sadness, where we're going to spend a lot of time today. Misplace and mismanaged sadness develops into depression, self-loathing, and in extreme cases, self-mutilation and even suicide. Misplaced and mismanaged sadness develops into depression and self-loathing, and in extreme cases, self-mutilation and even suicide. In the past week, we've looked at how many emotions can be misplaced or mismanaged. Even if we misplace or mismanage hurt in our lives, it develops into bitterness. If we, de- if we mismanage or misplace anger in our lives, even righteous anger, that anger can turn to resentment and even murder. We have to be terribly careful about the way that we place and we manage the emotions in our lives, even if they're healthy, positive, and good emotions, like sadness is for us. So what exactly do I mean? Because that's what we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of our time on today. We're going to talk about misplaced sadness, mismanaged sadness, and then we're going to talk about joy. And so when we're talking, we're going to kick off with misplaced. So what are we talking about when we're talking about misplaced sadness? Like, do we, did we put it someplace that we can't remember? Like, my sadness is on a shelf somewhere in my house. Like, I put my keys and my ring and my watch and my phone and my chargers and my wallet and basically everything else that belongs to me. I misplace stuff all the time. I tell people, like, they're like, oh, man, you lost your keys again. Like, you don't understand. I lose something every single day of my life. 
There's never a single day in my life when I'm not looking for something that belongs to me that I've put someplace weird, right? So is that what I mean, that we've misplaced sadness? Kind of, kind of, but not really. What I mean is that we often place our sadness in the wrong places. We misplace it. We put it in places that it doesn't belong. Oftentimes what we do is we experience sadness over the wrong things. As Christians, there are good things for us to be sad about, but there are just as many bad things for us to experience sadness over. In fact, the devil wants us to misplace our sadness. He wants us to linger on things that we shouldn't linger on. If the devil can make us allocate our sadness to selfish and meaningless things, he can prevent us from feeling sadness for the things that matter. If the devil can make us allocate our sadness to selfish and meaningless things, he can prevent us from feeling sadness for the things that matter. Let me give you a couple examples of misplaced sadness. So we're sad over uh, the most recent football game from our team who lost or tied, right? And so we're sad about that, but what we're not sad about is we're not sad about the tons and hundreds of girls in the sex industry who are trafficked to the cities where NFL games are taking place every single weekend. So we're sad about being overlooked for the promotion or not having a fulfilling experience at work, but we're not sad about the thousands, hundreds of thousands of children who've been aborted in this country over the last five years. We are sad as, as Christians over we don't get the latest toy, the latest phone, or the biggest truck, or whatever it is, that next little thing, object, possession that we want, but we are not sad about the orphans who are lost in the foster care system in Butler County right now. Do you see what I mean? We misplace our sadness all the time. And I'm not just saying, like, y'all, I'm saying me. Like, I don't get sad over the right things. My heart, in many areas of life, has grown cold. i become calloused. I have seen it so many times. I've heard about it so many times. I've heard about so many school shootings. I've heard about so many people trapped in slavery. I've heard about, about the child warfare going on in other countries. I've heard about that murder. I've heard about that drug overdose so many times that my heart no longer gets sad, and instead I allocate my sadness to largely selfish self-centered, and relatively silly things. Well, when we misplace our sadness, it develops into all sorts of terrible things in our lives. So the first thing that we need to do is if we have misplaced sadness, which I think the majority of American Christians do, we need, when, when our sadness is misplaced, we must attune our hearts to God. That's the first step. We have to attune our hearts to the heart of God. When our sadness is misplaced, we need to attune our hearts to the heart of God. We must find what makes God sad and allow ourselves to feel that sadness as well. But the only way to properly align our sadness to God's sadness is to align our heart with God's heart. So the first thing I want to know is, okay, from God's word, what is it that makes him sad? And there's a handful of things, but I came up across this passage in the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at it in two translations. It's Psalms 139, starting in verse 23 and going through verse 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Now, that's the NLT. I love how the Living Bible translates it. It's a little bit more of a paraphrase, but I really love it. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Put out Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad. 
and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Point out anything in me that makes you sad. Our sin is what makes God sad. Many of us have become so accustomed to our sinful patterns that we don't feel any sorrow over our transgressions at all. We should be people who weep over our own sinfulness because we know intimately our own lives and what our sinfulness has cost our Savior. We know most intimately our own lives and what our sinfulness and our sinful patterns that we don't even try to prevent anymore. We just live in them at this point. We don't even fight against them anymore. We've just accepted them at this point, right? We just live so much in those things. We don't count the cost for what it costs our Father in heaven. We should be people who are sad over our own sinfulness because it grieves the heart of God himself. And there are lots of other things in the Bible that make God sad. Don't get me wrong. We can look and we can find other things. But the first and biggest thing I, whole, I wholeheartedly believe is the disobedience of his children. Those, those who call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, but live without any remorse inside of their sin. While misplaced sadness produces depression, discontentment, and a host of other negative realities, properly placed sadness leads to repentance, purpose, and life-driving mission. When we misplace our sadness, we're spinning our tires, being sad about things that simply do not matter. But when we are sad about the things that grieve the heart of God, when we become sad about our own sin, when we become sad about the, the atrocities and the injustices in the world around us, it doesn't leave us where we are, spinning our tires and growing in depression and being sad about the wrong things. Most of us fall into depression and things a lot of times because we're sad about things that we shouldn't be sad about. But when we're sad about the things that grieve the heart of God, it drives us into a life-giving mission. So if we misplace our sadness, we have misplaced our sadness, the first thing we need to do is attune our hearts to God. But perhaps you're here today and you're sad about the right things. Perhaps you're sad about the loss of a loved one. Or maybe you're grieving the loss of a relationship. Or maybe you're sad about an unanswered prayer, a sickness, a child who's walked away from the Lord. Perhaps you're dealing with the sadness over very real things, but it's come to the point where it's overwhelming. It's overburdened. It's brought you to the point of desperation. It's brought you to the point of hopelessness. It's caught you in this, in this trap of depression that you're just unable to break free of. You're feeling sadness over the proper things, but it's being mismanaged. So let's look at this. Mismanaged sadness, when I say it, here's my definition. Mismanaged sadness is sadness over proper things that is improperly processed. Mismanaged sadness is, is sadness over proper things that is improperly processed. So let me give you some examples like I did with misplaced. Here's some examples of mismanaged sadness. Someone who's lost a loved one but refuses to grieve. So they're trapped in that. Or somebody who is, has, has allowed the sadness of rejection from another human being to be the thing that determines their self-worth. Or someone who's overwhelmed with sadness to the point of despair, depression, and they're trapped, controlled 
by this overwhelming emotion of sadness. So in the same way that we must learn to manage our anger and manage our hurt, even when there are rightful emotions, even when anger is justified, we have to learn to properly manage it. Mismanage sadness over, oops, I went back to the previous point that I was making. Um, even though, oh man, then I got lost. Oh, oh man. Okay, Sad, when sadness is mismanaged, we must allow ourselves to experience the love of God. We must allow ourselves to draw close to the heart of God. And when we do that, we sometimes also then need to learn new ways to manage in, healthy, in a healthy way, process our sadness. So when sadness has been mismanaged in our lives, we need to find a way. We must draw close to God, and then sometimes we need to learn new and healthy ways to manage and process sadness in our life. So let's look at Psalm 34 and why I tell you we need to draw close to God. So Psalm 34, told you we we're going to be in Psalms a lot. Uh, verse 18 says this, the Lord, listen to this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Listen, God is close to those of you who are in this room today and you're dealing with a broken heart, that your spirit, your innermost being is crushed, that you are lost, you are trapped in the throes of depression right now. And maybe you're in a place like you can come in here and you can put on a good smile and you can give a handshake and you can do like the thing I do, which is like the handshake, half hug, fit, you know, bump on the back. Like you can give one of those and you can put the good smile on. But in reality, you're suffering from overwhelming, life-controlling sadness. We have to draw close to God. Now, let me just say some of the things that I'm not saying here because we adventure into some pretty scary territory with the church historically. The church historically has been horrible with people who are battling depression and overwhelming sadness in their lives instead of coming alongside people and helping them, instead of having compassion, instead of being willing to step into the mess, what we have done a lot of times is we have heaped guilt on people by telling them the reason they're dealing with this is because they're not close enough to God, because they don't pray enough, because they don't read their Bible enough, because they don't have a sincere heart, because they have sin in their life. We will heap all kinds of garbage on people who are suffering just so we don't have to be there in their suffering. So I'm not saying that this is a quick fix or a cheap solution to your very real pain. All I'm saying is that each and every one of us, whether you're suffering from depression today or not, whether you're battling against extreme sadness or not, every single one of us need to draw close to the heart of God, and especially when we are experiencing sadness. Because can I tell you that God describes you as his children? When we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, when we accept him to come into our lives, and you can do that today, he moves from calling us his enemy to his children. And God doesn't take that word lightly. He doesn't take his children lightly. I, I don't know. Maybe you're not a parent and you haven't experienced this. I'm a new parent, so I have this little girl in my life now. Her name is Brooklyn. She's toddling around. She's 16 months old, and she's crazy cute, just insane cute, right? And so this little girl is like waddles around my house. Like, everywhere she goes, she's like this, right? Just waddling. And she gets up and moves around. And so the other day, I'm standing there, and we're in the living room. And she stands. She gets herself up near the coffee table. And she's like, because her legs don't work. And she's like, bam, right off the coffee table. Just crushed her forehead on it. Was whack. And she's like, and then she falls on her butt, right? And like, I'm like, this is like a little funny. Um, <laughs> there's no blood, right? So it's a little funny. And so I'm like, are you okay? And, and I'm standing there, and she's like, she comes over to me, just, 
No noise, nothing. Just, just help me, Dad. Dad, please. And she's like, got my leg. She's like, ah. and she just once picked up, right? Now, I don't have any sort of magic that gets rid of when you hit your head off of a coffee table. There's nothing I can do for that, right? But I reach down, and I pick her up, and I hold her, and she's screaming now and crying, and she's got a little bump on her head, right? And I give her a little kiss, and she calms down. She wanted to come to the comfort of her father. Right? Can I just tell you today that if you're in that place, right, you just busted your head off the coffee table. Maybe you busted your head off the coffee table a dozen times in life. You can't seem to get your legs under you. You just keep hitting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, problem after problem, grief after grief, issue after issue. Can I just tell you that you can come to your father like this? Like, you can come to him like that. Like, you can open your arms. That we can go to our good and loving father, and he is close to the brokenhearted, that he wants to lift us up, that he wants to comfort you. Wherever you are in life right now, if that's where you are, that you can go to him. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just letting you know, like, there's comfort in the arms of the father. And just because you feel like, man, I'm not feeling it right now doesn't mean that you don't deserve it and doesn't mean that you're unworthy and doesn't mean he doesn't want to comfort you. Sometimes we can take the path of guilt and it prevents us from ever really turning to God. Can I say today that you can put down the guilt, you can put down the garbage, you can put down what any other Christian had ever told you to condemn you amongst a bad circumstance and you can just open up your arms to the Father that he'll receive you, that he wants to comfort you because our Father draws close to the brokenhearted. And on top of that, listen, you might need to make some changes in your life right now. Like, it might not just be that you have to draw close to God. I don't want to miss this point because if you're in your outline and I don't say the thing in the outline, so I can't deal with it. Um, so it says, uh, it is only the comfort of our Father that we can truly break free of mismanaged sadness. But beyond that, sometimes we need to go further. Sometimes we need to seek out help. Listen, if you're depressed today, if you're on the edge today, if you're overwhelmed today, talk to somebody. Reach out to somebody. Talk to one of us. Talk to someone from church. Talk to a pastor. But you might need to seek out help. You might need a Stephen minister. You might need to get in a small group. You might need to go see a counselor. You might need to go see a therapist. Because here's the truth. Sometimes in our brains, we have learned a way of thinking, and we built a pattern, and our brain prefers the lazy way to do things. And so if given the opportunity, it will take your thoughts and your emotions through the same place, the same channel, over and over again, because that's what you've taught it to do. And so if you've experienced overwhelming sadness in your life, and you've learned that reaction to every emotion, then guess what? You have this trench that's cut in your brain, and every time you experience an emotion, your brain naturally drags it through that over and over and over and over again your brain takes your emotions and drags it through that highway that trench that you put in your brain last night someone gave me an analogy he said on route eight when it was still horse and buggy days there would be these uh, ruts that were really in the road the whole way when they called it old plank and you had your buggy as you were coming down the road if you chose the right rut to be in from the very beginning you could get your destination but if you chose the wrong one you'd have to stop and jack up the carriage and get it into a different set of ruts so that you could get down the road. Let me tell you today, you might be in the wrong rut. And you've trained your brain to think that way. You might need to find some help to retrain your brain to use other centers of emotion so that you don't drag every experience you have through that gouge that you've made through sadness over and over and over and over again. We may need to get more help. 
The reality is that God's ultimate plan has always been to take our sadness and turn that sadness to joy. And joy is something deeper than happiness. See, happiness like sadness is natural. And happiness and sadness and happiness cannot live in the same space. They can't occupy the same location in our lives. Happiness is temporary. Listen, our culture chases happiness with a voracious appetite. We spend billions of dollars every year trying for just that moment, just that second to be happy. God instead offers us something supernatural in place of happiness. He calls that thing joy. So while sadness and happiness cannot share the same space, joy gladly shares and even enhances proper and healthy sadness. Joy gladly shares and even enhances proper and healthy sadness. Sadness and joy can share the same space in our lives. Let's look at the book of John. There's this passage where Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified, and he's speaking to his friends, predicting his death, and also about sadness and joy. It says this, In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. This is Jesus. Some of his disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then then in a little while you will see me, and I'm going to be with the Father. And what does he mean when he says, a little while? We don't understand, right? Confusing. Confusing. Jesus was often confusing. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after... That you'll see me again. I tell you the truth. You, oops, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn, look at this, suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. Now, let me just unpack this for you. Jesus is talking to all men. So he's like saying, you don't understand this. Let me explain it with an analogy that you can't possibly understand. Right? (laughs) It's just, it's just dudes. And he's like, it's like, you know, let me just tell you, it's like a woman giving birth. And the guys are like, oh, yeah, we understand that. No, they don't. Um, when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she, was brought, she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but you will see me again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Jesus is the answer to abundant joy. If we want to experience abundant joy in our lives, we have to know Jesus. And it's through Jesus that he gives freely a joy that no matter our circumstances, no matter our sorrow, cannot be stomped out. This is an abundant, supernatural joy that when we are in with Jesus, we can ask for the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, who will give us anything that we ask for, will certainly give us the best gift he can possibly give us, which is the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we get the fruit of the Spirit, and with the fruit of the Spirit, we get abundant joy and much more. It's through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we experience joy. John said this slightly differently in John 15. It says this, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I like how the New King James Version puts it. Let's look at that. It said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Abide. I didn't know what that meant. I always thought abide was kind of like sitting with God, just abiding in him, just waiting on him to show up, hanging out with Jesus, right, in the the 
weird spiritual way, right? Meditation maybe, I don't know, prayer, long retreats in silence all by myself. I don't know, you got to abide with him, right? But then I looked up the word abide, and abide means to accept or act in accordance with. It means to obey. Obey. If we are going to seek out joy, then we need to obey to abide in Jesus, The reason why many of us live without supernatural joy is we don't obey God. We don't obey his word. We would much rather do things our way and keep God relegated to the Sunday morning experience. Because that's where God belongs sectioned off in our lives. Most Christians spend far more time talking about what it would be like to obey Jesus than they do obeying Jesus. Most Christians spend more time talking about what it would be like to obey, talking about what it would be like to feed the poor than feed the poor. Talk about what it would be like to love others as, we love, as God loves us than loving others as God first loved us. We spend more time doing that. And we seem to think that that type of reaction is going to cut it with God and he's just going to give us supernatural joy. Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. He didn't say all who love me will contemplate what I say or study what I say All who love me will memorize what I say. He said, all who love me will do what I say. And if we abide in him and obey him, he will give us anything. And the best thing he'll give us is the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, you see in this pattern, with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and with the fruit of the Spirit, abundant joy that cannot be taken away. And when we receive Jesus, and when we abide in him, when we obey him, we can ask for the Holy Spirit each day. When we abide in Jesus, we can ask each day for the Holy Spirit to fill us up. We can say, Holy Spirit, come, fill me up, fill me up. I'm abiding in Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. And we also can experience abundant joy. If you're not experiencing abundant joy here today, it could be because we are not abiding We're not abiding in Jesus. Which brings us to our next step this week. And this week's next step is I will pursue joy this week. To pursue joy, we first have to look at the sadness in our lives. And if we have misplaced or mismanaged sadness, we need to begin dealing with that. And then we must abide in Jesus and ask for the Holy Spirit. In closing, let's do a quick review. If we have misplaced sadness, we need to attune our heart to the heart of God. We need to read our Bible. We need to open our eyes. We need to allow God to speak to us about what makes him sad and become sad in the proper places, in the places that grieve the heart of God. If we have mismanaged sadness, we must turn and cling to God every day, turning to him, going to him. As a little girl goes to her dad who hit her head off the coffee table, we must cling to the Father. And we may also need to find new and healthier ways to process our sadness, to get it out of that sadness trench. And lastly, if we can't find joy, we must abide in Jesus this week. Obey Jesus Follow Jesus and then ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so that we might receive joy and abundantly more. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I thank you for being a God who is close to the brokenhearted. I pray for those in the room today whose hearts are broken, whose spirits are crushed. I pray, God, that you would minister to them, that you would draw near to them, that as they reach up for you, that you would receive them today, Father, that you would embrace them because you're close to the brokenhearted. I pray these things in your name. Amen.